Well, amen. Great to be in the house of the Lord again tonight. And I cannot express enough how much I love your pastor, his sweet wife, and their family, and how glad I am that many, many years ago, I was sitting there on the front row thinking, I met you, I think, the first time when you were a teenager, you and Darren Johnson and my brother and I were, I think, in college, and we came and did some type of a youth rally over at Eufaula Baptist Church, and I do remember this, we were all young enough, we could play football after whatever it was we were doing every night, the youth rally or Bible school or whatever it was, and in those days, uh, man, the recovery time wasn't very long, was it? I mean, we could just recover after all that. But anyway, the Lord dipped my heart to your pastor and then found out how God had begun directing his life and put him here at this place. And boy, what a blessing. I praise God for him. And you ought to thank God for your pastor and his wife. And I know you do. I know you do. And uh, even this week, for them to have their anniversary during a meeting, boy, that tells you your commitment to the Lord. Hope you guys are going to get away for a little while, but anyway, uh, enjoy the time together. But uh, what a blessing and an honor and delight to be able to be here during these days. I appreciate Calvary so much. And I love you guys. I want you to know that I really do with all my heart. I do talk about this church a lot around the country, how God has richly blessed it. And uh, you're loaded up with music. Music talent just breathes out of every pore of this church. And it's very unique and very unusual for a church to have the kind of musical gifting and all the other things that are here. And I know you don't take it for granted, but if I could encourage you, ratchet up your efforts in these last days. The finish line is just ahead. And that's the prize of the high calling, the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. It surely can't be long till we go home. But if the Lord leaves us here longer than what we anticipate, then we've got a work to do. And until He calls us up, we've got to be engaged in that work, fulfilling what God has called us to do in these days. For God and country, for God and country. The other day, in fact, I think it was last Saturday, my brother said that on a, a, a social media-based television program that we do together every Saturday, he said, you know, you used to hear it years ago, for God and country, for God and country. He said, you don't hear that much anymore. I'm thankful that at Calvary Baptist you do, for God and country. And so having said that, I want you to take your Bible, turn to the book of Nehemiah, if you would please, Nehemiah. And uh, while you're turning, let me just mention a couple of things to you, if I could. Uh, it's hard to find the truth in media today. ABC, NBC, CBS, you pretty much kiss them goodbye and just say goodbye to them. They're not going to tell you the truth. CNN is definitely not going to tell you the truth. Uh, MSNBC, you're not going to discover the truth there. Very difficult even today now to find the truth, any portion of it on Fox News anymore. But uh, let me just suggest to you this. Uh, I do my best. I really do. I feel like I've tried to turn my Facebook page into kind of a news source. And what I can talk about, I do. What I cannot talk about, I won't and I don't. But if you're on social media, Facebook, I would implore you just to look up Dave Kistler, K-I-S-T-L-E-R, and come to my Facebook page. I've reached my friend limit a long time ago. And so uh, unless somebody backs away, I can't accept any new friends. But you can follow the page, and I would encourage you to do that. And what I can talk about that's going on that's in the news and is oftentimes not communicated accurately in the news, I try to address those things. And I'm in communication with my brother a lot. Even today, I called him and I said, Dan, you know what? You and I have been talking about this particular thing for weeks now. And finally today, 
I saw a major news outlet actually say what we've been talking about literally for weeks because it's glaringly obvious what's going on. Uh, it's just people, you know, being willing to communicate it. And so uh, if you'd like to know more about that, then just come to our Facebook page, Dave Kistler on Facebook. Then also on Saturday mornings, uh, Dr. Gary Dahl, myself, my brother, at 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, we do this program called Truth Talk Live with Dave and Gary. My brother has since joined the program, but we haven't changed the title of the program. He's not always able to be on board, but he is more often than not. But uh, you can go on Facebook to just Truth Talk Live with Dave and Gary, or you can come directly to my Facebook page on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. and we launch this Truth Talk Live program. It's about an hour. Few, few, few weeks we go into overtime, a little bit past 10 o'clock, uh, but nobody seems to mind that. Most of the time it's 9 to 10. Last week it was 9 to 9.45 because of my schedule, Dr. Gary's schedule. But it's called Truth Talk Live, and we'd love to have you join us. And uh, you can write a message, let us know where you're viewing from. You can pose questions, make comments. And the only thing we ask people to do is this. Keep your comments and questions clean and keep them Christian. Can I hear an amen right there? Beyond that... You can say uh, whatever you want to say, ask whatever you want to ask. We're not threatened by anybody disagreeing with us whatsoever. And many, many times the questions that are posed by those that are watching the program, we try to answer those or make comments about them on the program. We have a lot of preachers that watch the program from literally all over the United States of America and people that are in churches uh, like this one all over the United States that watch as well. So that's Truth Talk Live with Dave and Gary on Saturday morning. Just come to my Facebook page if you don't want to go to the Truth Talk page and you can watch the program. One final thing I want to mention to you about this, and that is uh, I am on a nationwide radio program, not every day of the week. Used to be on every day, but my schedule's gotten to be so crazy with everything going on that I'm not able to be on every day. But I am on numbers of times over the course of the week. And uh, just even yesterday, I was uh, the one who led the program. And we talked about urgency, urgency, understanding the times we're in and what are we to do about that. I would encourage you to go back and watch that program. But you can watch the live programming or listen rather to the live programming or go back and listen to the programming in archive format by going to standinthegapradio.com. Standinthegapradio.com. And uh, you can listen live or you can listen in archive format to any of the programs that we've been doing over the almost, almost decade now that we've been engaged and involved in this program trying to communicate the truth. And of course, Stand in the Gap Radio is taken from Isaiah, or Ezekiel rather, 2230, where the Lord said, an assault for a man among them that would stand in the gap, make up the hedge before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But in Ezekiel's day, he said, I found none. I think God has found some people in this day and time that are willing to stand up and speak the truth. But if you'd like to know more about what's really going on in a little bit deeper way, maybe on certain topics, Stand in the Gap today is the name of the program. And you can just go to standinthegapradio.com at 12 noon every day. There's about 25 stations that at 12 noon carry the program live. The rest of the, pro, uh, the, the stations, about 400 and uh, 400 of them uh, or more that carry the program in delayed format. We're on about 425, 28, 30. It's hard to keep up because there's new stations being added all the time. But they carry the program in delayed format during the drive time in the afternoon. And so if you're interested in listening at 12 noon when it's done live, then just go to standinthegapradio.com and you can pick it up that, uh, during the live format. And I think it'll be a great, great blessing to you. One final thing I want to say about the video that pastor played and haven't you loved the videos every night I mean my soul my heart has been stirred by those 
Uh, a number of years ago, the 40th president of the United States of America, Ronald Reagan, my wife and I had a chance to go to his ranch in Simi Valley, California, and to visit uh, the Reagan Library, which is also located in the city of Simi Valley. Anybody ever done that before? Anybody visited? Okay, I'm telling you, preacher, it's an experience, isn't it? And I don't know when you visited. Uh, it was a number of years back that I had the honor to do that, and privilege to do that. Actually did do ra two radio programs from the Reagan uh, Library in Simi Valley, California. But when they bring you into the building, one of the first things you do is sit down and watch a video of what it was like back in 19. 76, 77, 78, 79, leading up to the 80 election when Ronald Reagan was elected president following, and again, I'm not trying to be political, just speaking truth. The Jimmy Carter years were disastrous years for the United States of America. By the way, it was during those years that we had hostages, American hostages held in Iran. Isn't that interesting? It's almost like we're reliving some of that with what's been going on in Afghanistan. And I remember praying, oh God, give us a leader. Give us a leader, Lord, that'll be courageous. Give us a leader that'll put America first. Give us a leader that doesn't operate in fear and passion passive uh, nature to his personality. Give us a courageous leader. And I believe God raised up Ronald Reagan, uh, the great communicator. And boy, he was that, wasn't he? And uh, when you go into the Reagan Library, you watch that video. And I'll be honest with you, Pastor, I sat there. My wife was to my side. I apologized to her because I wept through the entire thing. I wept as I watched it because at that time, the President of the United States, again, not trying to be political, but the President of the United States happened to be Barack Obama. I said, honey, we're there again, aren't we? We're there again where we need a leader, a courageous leader. And so as soon as the video's over, you get up, you move through parts of the library, and one of the things you come to, it's located on the left side of a little bit of a corridor, unless they've rearranged it. There is a plexiglass cover over a Bible. Do you remember seeing that Bible? It was Reagan's Bible. Ronald Reagan's Bible. By the way, actually, uh, prior to that, if I understand correctly, it belonged to his mom, Nell Reagan, and she would read to him when he was a young man from that Bible. And it was through that reading of the Scripture that Reagan by himself testified and said, I gained a love of language and gave, gained a love of the English language from the, my mama reading the Bible to me. And that day as we stood there, our tour guide was a guy by the name of Glenn. And Glenn asked this question of all the folks in our tour group. He said, does anybody know where Reagan wanted his Bible opened twice when he was sworn in as governor of California and twice when he was sworn in as president of the United States? Anybody know where he wanted his Bible open? Well, here's what's interesting. Our ministry had just presented a Bible called the American Patriot Bible to every member of Congress. 535 of them were hand-delivered to every single member of Congress. And in that American Patriot Bible, which is the text of Scripture, but also interspersed throughout were some facts about history, you know, the Bible in America. American education, the Bible and its influence on our government, the Bible and a lot of other things, finance and so on. There was a section in there, preacher, in the American Patriot Bible that we had just given to members of Congress that said where Reagan wanted his Bible open. Well, I'd read through all of that, so I knew, and so I raised my hand. And Glenn, the tour guide at the Reagan Library, said, yes, sir, you know where it was open or where you wanted it open? I said, I do. He said, where was it? I said, Second Chronicles 7, verse number 14, which says, if my people, the ones called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked way. Then, God said, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. Can I hear an amen? He wanted his Bible open and he wanted to lay his hand on Second Chronicles 7 verse 14. 
And Glenn said, you know, sir, you're 100% correct. How do you know that? Well, I got to share with him what I just shared with you and with the entire group. Told him a little bit about our ministry and what we had just done. And then he turned his attention to the Bible under the plexiglass that the president was sworn in on twice as president two times prior to that sworn in as governor of California and preacher under that piece of plexiglass they had the Bible open and a marker down the middle Second Chronicles 7 and verse number 14. Isn't it amazing that we had a president like that for eight years in the United States of America? Folks, what I'm trying to tell you is this. If God can do that one time, He can do that again. Can I hear an amen? He can't. Because God's people got serious from 1976 to 1980. I remember my dad. My dad was the consummate patriot. Maybe that's why I am the way I am. But my dad loved America. I remember my dad grieving and crying and praying and petitioning God. Oh God, have mercy on the United States of America. Lord, please send us. We quoted the verse last night from the book of Judges. Please send us a deliverer. We desperately need. Someone who will acknowledge you, at least in their policies and the way they live out their life individually and as well as they, the way they direct the country. God, we need that again. And folks, uh, God gave us the 40th president of the United States of America, an amazing, amazing man. Uh, let me just encourage you about something. He has an adopted son, or did. Reagan, of course, is with the Lord now. But he had an adopted son by the name of Michael Reagan. Michael Reagan wrote a book called Twice Adopted. The first adoption was when he was adopted into the Reagan family. The second adoption was when he was adopted into the family of God. Twice adopted. And in that book, he said this. He said, uh, I believe my adopted dad, President of the United States, 40th President Ronald Reagan, knew Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And he tells you why he was unequivocally convinced that our 40th president knew the Lord. I would encourage you to pick that book up, Twice Adopted by Michael Reagan. It'll be a fascinating walk through history. One other book I would recommend to you is this, Standing Next to History. Standing Next to History. That book was written by Reagan's personal bodyguard from the Secret Service, a man by the name of Joseph Petro. Joseph Petro. And Petro said this, I stood next to history when I guarded the 40th president of the United States of America. Hence the title of the book. And in that book, Preacher, he talked about the greatness that was Ronald Reagan. He said, when we went to the Reagan Ranch on the weekends in Simi Valley, California, while he was president of the United States. He said, do you know what Ron and Nancy Reagan would do to the Secret Service? They would make us sit down at the table and the two of them would serve us. Wow. Wow. He said other presidents have turned the Secret Service into glorified bellhops. But he said, not the Reagans. They made us sit down because of our service for them, and they served us every meal at the Reagan. I thought about that. That is amazing. You know, most of the country doesn't know that about Ron and Nancy Reagan. They were phenomenal people. Now, we wouldn't agree with them on everything, but I'm telling you, that's servant leadership. Can I hear it? That's servant leadership. And that's the essence of greatness itself. Jesus said this, I am among you as one that serves. And so that's the essence of great leadership. And so I want to recommend those books to you, those resources to you. I think they'll be a great blessing. Nehemiah chapter number 1. I want you to look, if you would, please, at verse number 1. The words of Nehemiah, Nehemiah 1.1, the son of Hekeliah, and it came to pass in the month Kislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, 
One of my brethren came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left to the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left there of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Now watch carefully verse number 4. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now folks, look up at me for just a second. What you will learn about a Jew is this. If you've been in the land of Israel or if you've met Jews and know them, they're awesome people. But preacher, I learned this from being in their country. They love the land of Israel. Can I hear an amen? By the way, folks, there's nothing wrong with us loving the land of our birth, the United States of America. I don't get it. I don't know what's wrong with someone that doesn't love America. By the way, one of my good friends, Eric Metaxas, has a message he's been preaching. I think I referred to it early in the week. Around the United States called Let the Church Arise. Let the Church Arise. And he addresses this preacher in unequivocal fashion. Best I've ever heard it addressed. He said, I've found this. The people that love Jesus Christ and love the Lord of heaven also love the land of their birth. They love the United States of America. Can I hear an amen? Also, you may remember in 1953, the Alger Spiring. Now, I know I'm backing up. I wasn't even alive yet in 1953. But some of you have read about this. There was a gentleman who turned state's evidence in that Alger trial where he was convicted of spying and literally surrendering uh, some of American secrets to the Russians. But the gentleman who turned state's evidence was a guy by the name of Whitaker Chambers. Whitaker Chambers. Preacher, do you know Whitaker Chambers was a lost man when he was involved in spying and giving secrets? secrets to the Russian government. But Whitaker Chambers, after that trial, he avoided prosecution because he turned state's evidence and turned over some information that ultimately got Alger Hiss convicted. Because he never served jail time, but God began to work in, in Whitaker Chambers' life, and Whitaker Chambers came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Can I hear an amen? He wrote a book called Witness. Witness. One word title to his book, by the way, it referred to two things. I was a witness in the Alger his trial, but since I've got saved, I've become a greater witness for Jesus Christ. So the title of the book was Witness. And Pastor, in that book, Whitaker Chambers said this, All political freedom is, is an outgrowth of the spiritual freedom found in Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? So if you've been saved, folk, you ought to love and appreciate not just the spiritual freedom you have, you ought to love and appreciate and want to perpetuate the freedom that we have politically in the United States. Is everybody with me? The two are not mutually exclusive. No, they are companions one of the other. The Jews love their nation. By the way, Nehemiah, the book we're reading from, the man Nehemiah, folks, had never actually seen the country of Jerusalem or the city of Jerusalem or the country of Israel. He had grown up in captivity. But somebody arrives from the home country. And pastor, this is an amazing thing to me. Hanani arrives, one of his brethren, and he inquires, how are things going back in the home country? And the word he gets is this, it's not good. What's going on, Nehemiah, is this. The gates are crumbling. The walls are crumbling. 
It's not good. And when Nehemiah hears that, like anybody should do who loves their country, he sat down and wept and mourned and fasted and prayed. And God touched his heart and said, I want you to do something about your country. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of chapter 1 to you, but I will tell you this much. You can read it later. Pastor, he walks in to the king with a sad countenance. And by the way, that was dangerous for the person that occupies the job that Nehemiah had. He was the king's cupbearer. He was basically the taste tester for the king. By the way, do you know the Secret Service has somebody that does that before the president puts a single bite of food in his mouth? How many of you knew that? Let me just share something with you. Some of you may remember back during Trump's administration one weekend, and it, it made the news, and people were wondering, what in the world is he doing? It made the news that he had gone to Walter Reed Hospital over the weekend suddenly and unexpectedly. Any of you remember this? And the official word coming out of the White House was, well, he's getting a little bit of an early start on his physical. Well, he had just had his physical about eight months earlier. So I knew when they said that, that's really not the case. That's really not what this is about. What had happened, folk, is this. Earlier in that year, a Secret Service member, while the president was out of the country, got violently ill and died. And this particular weekend, another Secret Service member, the one who actually samples the president's food, got violently ill. Thank the Lord he did not die. But the assumption was made, and it was a legitimate assumption to make, that possibly President Trump had been poisoned. So he made the decision immediately, let's go to Walter Reed, because his White House physician said, if you have been poisoned, sir, what you need, we cannot do here at the White House. You need to get to Walter Reed, and he did. What I'm trying to help you understand is to be a leader in this high position is a dangerous place to be. Are you listening to me? To work for someone who's in that high position, it is a dangerous potentially place to be for Nehemiah. He's the cupbearer to the king. He walks in in front of the king. His countenance is sad and the king begins to inquire and says, why is your countenance sad? I love this pastor. Nehemiah said, I made my supplication to the Lord. When the king asked me, "Why, Lord, you got to help me. Help me be able to communicate what's on my heart. And he looks back at the king and he says this, why shouldn't I be sad when the people in my home country are in great distress the walls are crumbling the gates are burning why should I not be sad well the king was not stupid he looks at Nehemiah and I love this preacher he says how long do you need to be gone and Nehemiah says so I set him a time that means this I told him I need to be gone from here to here Now I want to show you something. God had given Nehemiah so much favor with a pagan king that the king says this, not only will I allow you to be gone that amount of time, what do you need to help facilitate your journey? And Nehemiah says, I need this, 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 and this. And you know what? The king respects him enough to do everything he asks. Can I hear an amen? By the way, folks, I learned something from this. We don't have to create an adversarial attitude toward those that are in high office. Now, we may not agree. We need to speak up where they're wrong. But we don't have to consider them our dyed-in-the-wool enemy. Are you listening to me? The king respected Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah makes a journey back to the home country. Once you look at chapter number 2, let your eyes rest on verse number 12. By the time we get to Nehemiah 2.12, Nehemiah has been back in the city of Jerusalem, in the country of Israel, for three days. During those three days, he's been traveling around surveying the need. And in verse 12, the Bible says this, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, Nehemiah writes these words. He says, and I arose in the night. I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Folks, may I say this? You cannot always tell everybody else what God is leading you to do. 
You say, preacher, what does that mean? Do you know I've not yet, not yet, not yet, I have not yet shared with my wife everything I believe God wants us to do. You say, why haven't you? Because it'd scare her out of her mind more than she's already been scared for the last 36 years. You want to do what? I love this phrase. Honey, they will not let you do that. By the way, my grandmother used to do that all the time. Well, you know, Dave, they say... I said to my grandmother, well, Grandma, I'm curious. I hear that all the time. They say they will not allow. They will not let you do. I said, Grandma, can you help me understand something? Who are they? And she looked at me and she said, well, you know them. I said, well, thank you. That answers it. I said, no, Grandma. Who are they? Who are them? And here's what she would say. Well, you know the powers that be. I said, who are the powers that be? I need names and addresses and phone numbers because, preacher, I want to go talk to these people. They're always telling you you can't do stuff. Can I hear an amen? They will not let you do that. Do you know how many times I've heard that on Capitol Hill? Brother Kistler, they will not let you do that. I said, well, can I say this? Isn't our God greater than they? I'm telling you, if God's in it, I don't care what they say. First time we wanted to present a Bible to every member of Congress. That's what I heard. Well, preacher, they will not let you do that. I said to the lady that told me that, forgive me, my grandmother used to say that. Who are they? And I think she and my grandmother have been in cahoots because here's what she said. The powers that be on Capitol Hill. I said, who is that? I need names. I want to go talk to... She said, no, campaign finance law will not allow you to present a Bible to every member of Congress. I said, why is that? She said, because the campaign finance law, McCain-Feingold law says that a member of Congress cannot receive a gift valued over $10. She said, what those Bibles cost? I said, well, we got them for $16.90 a piece, but you know, retail, they're worth about $75. She said, well, either way, $16.90 or $70, you're way over the $10 uh, minimum that a member of Congress can take. They cannot take a gift. I said to this lady, I said, okay, then we're not going to give Bibles. She said, what? I said, no, we're not going to give Bibles. We're going to present Bibles. She said, what does that mean? I said, you know, D.C. is the place that uses word games all the time, don't they? By the way, on the walls in the congressional office buildings, if you go with, when you come, preacher, we're going to show the whole choir this. When you look on one side, as you go into an out, boy, I'm assuming a lot of stuff. But anyway, when you, when you guys come to D.C. to sing choir, we're going to take you in the congressional office buildings. We're going to show you on one side of the alcove where you go in, there's an elevator that will go up and down. There's a set of steps that will also do the same. On one side, it has three words. Internal relocation site. Boy, does that sound official or what? On the other side of the wall, it says stairs. <laughs> Only in Washington do you need three words that what we regular people who live in the real world can say with one word. Are you with me? Craziness. I said, no, we're going to play that word game against them. We're not going to give Bibles. We're going to present Bibles. And I begin to explain how. She said, you know what? I think that'll work. I said, you know what? If God's in it, of course it's going to work. Can I show you how well it worked? 
We had a guy, Pastor, and his wife that said, we want to come help. I said, would you mind doing this? They were very fit people. I said, if we got a big rolling suitcase and loading them up with these American Patriot Bibles, would you guys be willing to walk up and down the, the Senate side of Capitol Hill and when these guys carry three of those Bibles in, present them, come back out, get three more from you guys, would you guys be willing to do that? They said, absolutely. And preacher, they did. They rolled these Bibles in this big suitcase up and down the sidewalk outside the Senate and House office buildings. Guys would go in, put three Bibles on the conveyor. They'd go through security. They'd go deliver those three to members of Congress, come back out, get more. And we did that over the course of three days and presented 535 Bibles. Can I hear an amen? Can I tell you what my brother did? First time he went through security and laid three Bibles on the conveyor, he said they all three went through, and he said a guy on the back side of the conveyor in a blue uniform, Capitol Hill police officer, came running around from behind the machine, and he looked at my brother and he said, what are those? My brother said he looked at him and said, they're Bibles. He runs back around behind the machine, come back around. He's got his Bible in his hand. He said, look, I've been reading my Bible, having devotions today. What are you doing with those? My brother said, we're not supposed to use the word G-I-V-E or G-I-F-T. We're not giving or gifting. We're presenting Bibles to every member of Congress. This guy said, that's awesome. They need it like never before. He said, from here on out, when you come into the building, come to this entrance right here. You won't even have to have them scanned. I'll send you right on through. Can I hear an amen? Wow. Folks, listen, we serve an awesome God, don't we? Well, they will not let you do this. Look again at verse number 12. And I rose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told, any, uh, told I any man what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. You can't tell it yet, but he's about to. Watch the rest of it. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. Now watch carefully verse number 13. And I went up... Or went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well into the dung port. And, and you ought to circle this word right now. And viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down. And the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Watch carefully, if you would, please, verse 14. Then went I up to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool. But there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. In other words, the rubble from the collapsed wall was so significant at this point, this point the animal couldn't make it up through there. So he had to get off and go by foot. Look at verse number 15. Then went I up in the night by the brook. And, circle this word again, viewed the wall. That's the second time he said this. And turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And verse 16 says, the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Watch carefully verse 17. Then said I unto them, ye, would you say the next word out loud, ye what? Folks, look up at me for a minute. Ye see literally means this. Don't you see? Don't you see? Look at the rest of the verse. Don't you see the distress that we are in? How Jerusalem lies waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a... What's the last word of the verse? Reproach. Don't you see? Fact of the matter is, folks, they didn't see. That's the problem. Do you know why God singled out Nehemiah, sent him back from a foreign country? Preacher literally to be the facilitator for one of the greatest revivals Israel ever experienced. You know why God chose him? Three reasons. By the way, those three reasons are tonight what I hope will grab hold of your heart. And you'll decide, I want to be like Nehemiah. I want to do what Nehemiah did. I want to be a part of what Nehemiah was a part of. Because God uses 
certain people for a reason. And Nehemiah possessed these three incredible qualities. You say, preacher, what are they? Tonight, I want you to see them. I want to encourage you to write them down. Number one, Nehemiah and tonight we need to see what others don't. See what others don't. Three times in the verses I just read to you, he said, I viewed the wall, and I viewed the wall. And then I said to the people, don't you see? They didn't, but he does. Folks, 